we have a young guy who lives across the street from us, and interestingly enough, his name is Jacob, um, and uh, he just, he got a new drone with a camera attached to it, uh, and so he brought it over to show, to show me, and Caleb uh, was there also, and so Caleb came out, and uh, we're watching this together. He showed us a few things. It's very, it was actually kind of interesting. I bought a little drone that's, you know, about this big around. And, um, pretty much all, all I could do is crash it into things. Um, but you know, when you, uh, w- when you get them for as cheaply as we got them, I guess that's just the way it is. Uh, well, this drone cost him a little more and it was larger. Uh, and it does certain things. And then you press a button for home and it, no, as long as it's within range, and range was what was it? Seven hundred, seven hundred yards. It was. Like, I remember it was like two and a half, almost three football fields. Anyway, um, you press the button and it comes back by itself. It, it's the home button, and it automatically comes back and hovers, and then it lands itself. It's really kind of cool. Well, he showed us some of those things, and um, then he turned the camera on. And we could follow along on his phone. He has a program on his phone so you can see the picture of what's there. And uh, we're in our backyard, and the backyard in the summertime is kind of enclosed. The the trees and the weeds uh, grow up in the meadow, um, you know, by us there and kind of block the view, which we like. But as the drone went higher... Uh, you know, and we're watching it and Caleb says, hey, we could see the neighborhood, you know, and it was, it was really kind of cool because you got up there and you had a whole different perspective, uh, on things. You had a whole, a whole different picture, you know, what was going on more than you could just see from my yard. I was thinking about that because it reminded me of what the passage you're going to look at today. This whole idea of, of seeing this bigger picture and understanding understanding a little bit more the reality of of the bigger picture let's pray and we're going to get into our passage father thank you for your grace which we don't deserve and yet you give to us thank you for your wisdom and your mercy again which we don't deserve but yet you give to us i pray that you will open our eyes to see more of what you have more of who you are Uh, how does our life intertwine and intersect with your wisdom your mercy your grace your love help us to learn from your word and from your truth and from those things that you have us in the midst of those things that you've taken us through and some things that might yet come that we will we will be drawn back to your word we pray in christ's name amen we're going to be in genesis chapter 46 so if you want to turn there Um, the video did take us up pretty much to this point. One of the interesting things I found is, uh, you know, believe it or not, there wasn't a video, a kid's video on Genesis chapter 46. Well, not really anyway. Uh, That's because some of these chapters don't lend themselves necessarily to do that. I appreciate the uh, churches that put those videos together that we use and they uh, giving us permission, uh, these organizations too, giving us permission to... um, you know, to use them in our services, I think very gracious of, of them. We appreciate that. So here we are, Genesis chapter 46, beginning with verse 1. Uh, follow along. It says, Israel set out with all Israel, that's Jacob, 
Jacob and Israel, same person. So Israel here is a person. And as you'll see, as we go through this, then you're starting to see more of the picture of the nation here, which will come out in there. But anyway, Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. That night God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said, and Jacob replied, here I am. God said, I am God, the God of your fathers. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. Jacob left Beersheba. The sons of Israel took their father Jacob in wagons, in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him, along with their children, their wives, and also their cattle and possessions that they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Uh, then Jacob and all his children went with him to Egypt. His sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, indeed, all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. Now we're going to pause there. You see, then it gets into the um, uh, the begats. Uh, so and so, you know, whose whose children are who. But anyway, this first part he t- it, it opens up with Beersheba. Beersheba was an important place for them. It was an important place in many ways. Beersheba is where Abraham worshipped after he made a covenant with the Philistines so that there would be some peace. That Then this is the place where Abraham came and he worshipped. And then you go on and you see Isaac worshipped there. And after God had reassured him, he would receive the promise of many descendants. As Isaac and as Abraham worshipped there, they dug a, you know, the, the, the two of them, they planted a tamarisk tree. They, uh, in commemoration, they dug a well, you know, and all these things, you know, were there. Well, then here is also where Jacob earlier than this, this is Beersheba is where Jacob had come as he started on his journey out of the land that was promised to them. And he went, he went to, he went to get away from Esau, his brother who wanted to, um, well, kill him, uh, because of his deceit, because of the person that he was. And, uh, then also, um, his father Isaac wanted him to get a wife. And not from among the people there, but, you know, to go back to the land. So this is where uh, Jacob was before. Now, he returned then, many years later, he returned uh, with a family. And, uh, you know, he, it was a much larger family, and he was a wealthy man. He had a lot of possessions then when, when he returned. Now, once again... Here he is, he's leaving the land, you know, part of the land that was promised to them, and he's traveling to a land and, and to a people where they were told to stay away from. Now, the, this whole picture here would begin to make him a little uneasy in many regards. You know, maybe he was remembering, uh, as he was going along, maybe he was remembering that his grandfather Abraham had got into some serious trouble when he left the land and he went because of a famine and he went to Egypt and that's where he was so afraid at that point that he lied about his about his wife and uh, got himself in you know into some trouble there uh, or maybe he was remembering thinking about the time his father Isaac again there was another famine and Isaac was specifically told not to go to Egypt you know, maybe he was maybe he was thinking about these things. Egypt could have been a, was seemed to be a very dangerous place for God's people. 
they seem to unfortunately choose not to not to uh, pay as much attention to God as they as they should. Uh, and so, you know, God calls Jacob here to leave the place that he knew, a place of promise, you know, and to travel to a new place, to travel to, you know, to Egypt. I was thinking about that as we we're singing the song, No Longer, I'm No Longer a Slave of Fear. Fear comes up in a lot of ways. Fear comes up many times. We don't have to, we don't have to invite it, do we? We don't have to invite it. It's just all of a sudden, whoo, it's there, you know, and we realize it. And sometimes it just smacks us in the face. Sometimes it, it's a, it, it just gets a hold of you. It's a real kick in the gut. And it can be prompted sometimes by the smallest things, sometimes by big things. But it's fear. And we don't have, as we were singing, you know, I, I, we don't have to be a slave to fear because we're a child of God. When we know God, when we know Christ, you know, we can, tr- we can trust him. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have fear. What it means is we have somewhere to take our fear that makes a difference. You see, uh, something that makes a difference. Fear comes. Well, here, you know, Jacob, what he couldn't see was the bigger picture. God would bring his descendants back to the land, a much larger group, a much stronger people than they were right now. So Jacob went to Beersheba to worship God, to offer sacrifices to God. He goes to strengthen his relationship with God at this place where he would see the well and the tamarisk tree that his father, his grandfather had put there and recall God's faithfulness to them. You see, when, when you face decisions, you know, especially ones that seem to have, you know, good and not so good points on either side, strengthen your relationship with God. When you have a decision and you're going to try to, and you're trying to make a decision, Strengthen your relationship with God. When I hear of people, you know, and that, that they, they've basically blown their life up, you know, and they're struggling through, you know, you can put a list of things in here, you know, and they're struggling with, you know, should I get a divorce or not? That should never be a question for us. Uh, when they're struggling, whatever sin you want to put in there, when they're struggling with that, and, and what I realize is something happened before that moment. It just didn't come up all at once. Something happened before that moment that compromised their relationship with God. That they, you know, maybe, maybe they, maybe they quit reading the Bible. Maybe they, maybe they stopped going to church. Maybe they stepped aside from their Bible study. Maybe, Whatever it is, something happened there that compromised their relationship with God and they allowed their relationship with God to be compromised and they get to this place where instead of strengthening their relationship, they were actually weakening their relationship. Where here, you know, what we see is take those steps to strengthen your relationship with God. Whatever decision you're facing, whatever it is, take those steps to strengthen your relationship with God. Now, new steps can be a bit intimidating, and, and, you know, here Jacob is called to a whole new step, a whole new reality, you know, to go back. To, no, but notice, notice that God speaks to Jacob's fear, and he gives him direction. He does both of those things. 
He speaks to his fear and he gives him direction. Look, he says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. But God doesn't stop there. He also tells Jacob, I will go down with you to Egypt. I will go down with you to Egypt. You know one of the things we really want when we're afraid? Somebody with us. We want somebody with us. Yeah, and you know we want we want somebody to be there. We don't want to be alone. You know, we want someone with us and someone hopefully that we know and that we can trust and that we know cares about us. We want them with us when we're afraid. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, he said. I will go down with you to Egypt. Jacob was, uh, he was uncomfortable in the land he was in because he was in the midst of a severe famine, just as his grandfather Abraham, as his father Isaac. But he, so he was uncomfortable in the land he was in because of that. But he was also uncomfortable in going to Egypt. It was like, is there a third choice, God? I don't want either one of these things. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, live here with this famine. I don't want to go to Egypt. You know, and he would have hesitated going to Egypt. You know, he would have hesitated leaving this land. It almost seems like he was more comfortable with the uncomfortable. He was more comfortable with the uncomfortableness he was in than he was in stepping into the uncomfortableness of something new. We do that sometimes. You know, we decide that we're more, we are more comfortable with our current uncomfortableness than we are in the potential uncomfortableness of what's ahead. And so sometimes we freeze when God is calling us to go. New steps are frightening. New steps can be, in, can be intimidating here. You know, sometimes we prefer the mess we're in over the mess we fear we might get into. But we also face the other danger of maybe thinking that we can uh, step out of where we are and into something better without really seeking God's wisdom. We're just looking at the situation. So how do we know? You know, how do we know what to do? How do we know what to choose? Jenny and I have asked ourselves these questions many times over the years. You know, how do we know what to do? How do we know what to choose? You know, and for us, it's been God's opened up many great opportunities. How do we, you know, how do we know what to do? How do we know what to choose? It was 40 years ago that it seemed God was leading me to leave my job at Enterprise Tool and Die and go to Bible college. Or was he? It was, it seemed goofy. I had people, family, people who loved us, you know. You know, they told us years later, you know, they said, what's he thinking? He's got a good job. He's got two kids. You know, at at that point, Marcy was three. Mandy was one. Uh, You know, we didn't move. We didn't move away. We stayed in the same house. You know, we stayed in the same home. We stayed with the same church family, which was real good. But God moved, <coughs> excuse me, God moved me from the security of my job to the insecurity of life as a married student with children. 
And it was a little over a year later after I took that step that it seemed God was calling us to step out from the church where I had come to Christ at, the church we were very comfortable with, the church that we were a part of that was really family in so many ways. You know, the, the, oh, it, to step away from these people who loved us, who discipled us, who helped us through school emotionally, some even financially, some of the people there, uh, you know, and to step away and instead to lead a small struggling church five minutes away from our home. Or was I just getting carried away? Was he leading us there or was I just, was, was I just getting carried away? Well, then after we were at that church, Riverdale Missionary Church, after we were there for about four years, I was asked to consider an associate position at a large Christian Reformed church. Again, I wouldn't have had to move. We could have stayed in our home. But this was a, it was a large church in a Christian Reformed denomination. It's in South Holland, Illinois, this church was at. And uh, they're very generous. Uh, they, I, I would have an associate position. They offered to um, not only pay us well, uh, but to help me work on my master's degree to help me with education for my master's degree, to put our girls, to help us put our girls in a private Christian school. You know, and, and so this, you know, this, this opportunity there, you know, how, how do I decide? You know, how do I decide? Well, it was five years later, we didn't go to that, but five years later, it seemed that our time of ministering at Riverdale Missionary Church was over. Or was it? It was very clear that God led us here to Fort Wayne. You know, it was very clear. And it was a good move. In fact, it, it was, the experience was so good that uh, Ginny and I, uh, several years later, were driving through Grand Rapids, Michigan. I believe it was after we took the kids to CDYC. We were driving through Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I remember right where we were. I remember the road we were on. And the car got suddenly quiet. And we're driving along, just the two of us. And we're on a bridge crossing over one of the rivers, and I looked, and I just said, I could live here. Jenny said, I was thinking the exact same thing. She said, I was thinking the same thing. So, you know, was God calling, you know, was God telling us to move? And it was about 10 years or so ago, our uh, district superintendent asked me to consider uh, leaving Northside and going to lead another church that was stepping into a really big transition. I am one who believes that, you know, I need to acknowledge and submit myself to the authorities that I am under. So when my district superintendent asked me to consider that, um, I felt I had to pay attention. So he asked me to put together a resume and, you know, send it to this church, which I did. And then their, their uh, search committee 
listened to some of my sermons and um, had me come in for a couple of different interviews. And we're going through this whole question again. Was God pointing me somewhere else? You know, how do we know what to do? How do we decide? In each of these crossroads, we tried to understand God's direction for us rather than our own preferences. Because you see, as we're stepping into the unknown, we are stepping... When you think about your vacation, just think about this for a minute. When you think about when you're going on vacation and you're thinking ahead and planning it, is it ever raining in your mind? It's not, is it? It's not. In our vacation, what we're thinking of is it's sunny days. It's great days, and we can do all these things we want to. And we can get caught up in this when we begin thinking about some of these other choices. You know, and it's sunny days. It's great days, you know, and, and everything's going everything to go well. What we need to do, what we need to do is follow what God has for us and follow his direction rather than our own preferences. Sometimes we went, sometimes we stayed. How do we decide? The deciding factor, really, the deciding factor in all of these is we should go and stay where God directs us to. Not simply to leave a tough situation, not not simply because we think we're stepping into something better. But what we should do is we should go or stay, you know, as God directs you. As God directs you. Each time... Each time in each of these things, like I told you, you know, God had given, God has given us great choices. You know, I, I never, you know, none of these, none of these opportunities came along while I was feeling lousy about where I was at. God just opened up. How do we decide? And here, it's not that one is sin and one isn't. When there's a choice between sin and not sin, you always choose not sin. Get it? I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, you know, the, the money hanging out of the pocket of the guy in front of you isn't there to help you pay your bills unless he pulls it out and hands it to you. It's not there for you to take because stealing is always wrong. You see? So it's not like when there's a question between sin and not sin, it's always not sin. That's always God's choice. That's a no-brainer. It's just that sometimes we get our head all goofed up. You always choose not sin. But the, what, what about when it's, when it's not between something that's sin and not sin? You know, th- these were choices where we had to determine what God wanted between all of the good choices that he, that he laid out there before us. And each time, God stepped in and led us where he wanted us. Jacob saw the wagons coming from him, but the deciding factor for him was when God said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. I will go with you. Look for God's direction. Then go or stay as God directs you. Getting a new job, a new house, uh, you know, relationships, Go or stay as God directs. And God let Jacob know this is a big step. Look at verse 3. I will make you a great nation there. Verse 4. I will go with you. I will bring you back. It says, Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. What he's talking about there is, the, the, you know, it was really the, the oldest son, the leader of the family. It was the one that literally closed their eyes, you know, upon death here. And this is what he's talking about. But what we need, what we need to remember is following God is always a big step. It's always a big step. And following God is always important. 
There is not a time where it's unimportant to follow God. It's always important to follow God, and it's always a big step. Now, Jacob, you know, he follows God, and he loads up for Egypt. You know, look what it says. Jacob's sons loaded Jacob in one of the wagons Pharaoh sent for him, it says. Now, I believe Joseph, uh, Jacob would have, been, would have been about, Jacob would have been out, but been about, I'll get that phrase out, 130 years old at this point, I think. Maybe he's only 120. Well, uh, at any rate, um, notice it says they loaded him up in a wagon. The sons, it says, they loaded their wives and their children. Look what it says, verse 6. Then Jacob and all his children went uh, with him, went to Egypt. His sons and his grandsons, his daughters and his granddaughters, indeed all his offspring, he brought with him to Egypt. Did you ever stop and think that your following God affects more than just you? It affects more than just you. God is leading Jacob to Egypt. It was really the following generations that would grow into this great nation. So did did God lead me to Fort Wayne for me, or did he have greater plans in mind? I think he had greater plans in mind. If I didn't follow God to Fort Wayne, how would Marcy have ever have met man? How would Marcy ever have met Andy? You know, and, and then Andy comes to Christ, and, and and so now you know I have three grandsons, Michael, Luke, and Ryan, that I never would have had had we not moved here. Uh, because we moved to Fort Wayne, Mandy went to IPFW. She never would have gone. Why would she have? We didn't even know there was an IPFW when we lived in Illinois. And because we moved here, Mandy went to IPFW. She took two sign language classes there just to fill in an elective. She thought, well, this could be, this would be interesting. She was an English major, journalism major, I believe. Um, and she saw this sign, American sign language class and she thought it was interesting, so she took it. She liked it so well, she took the second one. And that was all they had was two of them. So she started looking and she researched to where she would be able to do a sign language degree while well, it was up at Bethel. So she goes to Bethel College, gets a sign language, a degree in American Sign Language. And while she's there, she makes some connections. She ends up with a job in Mishawaka. While she's in Mishawaka and she's going to a church there, she's playing on a church softball team. There's this big tall guy there. His name was Michael Altman. And Mandy meets him, they get married, and now I have a granddaughter and a grandson in Laporte, Indiana. Because we moved to Fort Wayne, because we stayed with the missionary church, when Peter is looking for a school, uh, he goes to Bethel College. And while he's at Bethel College, he meets Jess who interestingly enough only lived an hour away from us when we were in Illinois, but God moves us another three hours away so God could meet Jess. And now I have another grandson and two more granddaughters. Look at verses 8 through 27. It gives us the name of those who were immediately affected uh, by Jacob following God to Israel. Verse 8, it says, These are the names of the Israelites, Jacob and his sons, 
who went to Egypt. See, this is where he's calling them Israelites now. Jacob and his sons uh, who went to Egypt. Jacob's firstborn, Reuben, who makes a wonderful sandwich, by the way. Uh, Reuben's sons, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. Simeon's sons, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohan. These are great names if you're ever looking for a name for one of your kids. Uh, Jacob, Zohar, and Shaul, uh, the son of a Canaanite woman. Levi's sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. Now we're, we're going to pause there for a minute, you know, because what, what we don't see, what we don't see in this list here are the names of the millions who came from them while they were in Egypt. You know, so the estimates of how there's estimates vary of how many came out of Egypt when, when they left Egypt, but millions. First Chronicles picks up a little bit on this, on this for us, on this genealogy. In First Chronicles chapter 6, it says Levi's sons, where we, where we left off here in Genesis. It says Levi's sons, Gershom, Kohath, and Merari, uh, Kohath's sons, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, Amram's children, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Perhaps you heard of them. Perhaps maybe only Moses. Perhaps you've heard of him. Moses came along about 400 years after what we're reading in Genesis 46. What we're reading in Genesis 46, you see, there, there it is that set up these events for 400 years, over, over 400 years later when Moses comes and leads the people out of Egypt. Moses is at least Jacob's great, great grandson. When I say at least, it's because as you see here in this part in Chronicles, they don't follow, they don't always put in every single person, but if you follow the ones that are here, it's his great, great, who are my grandchildren going to touch? What lives am I? What about my great grandchildren? What about my great great grandchildren? Know that there is a bigger picture. Following God affects more than just you. This is why it's so important to teach your children about God. This is why it's so important to teach your, you know, to teach your children to have a relationship with Jesus. When David was reading this morning from Philippians, and, you know, and it just reiterated it again for me, you know, as he was reading that, the, uh, the, um, 11th verse, you know, as, as, uh, as he's reading, it says, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is why it's important for you to teach your children, your grandchildren, about God, about Jesus Christ and who he is. Following God, you know, following God is living by faith. It's living by, by our faith that he is God. And that he has a plan. And that he sees the bigger picture. Let's pick up a few more verses. We're going to finish this. Verse 28. Drop down to verse 28. It says, Now Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph uh, to prepare for his arrival at Goshen. When they came to the land of Goshen, uh, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Man, what a picture there, huh? Uh, Joseph presented himself to him, threw his arms around him, and wept for a long time. 
Then Israel said to Joseph, At last I can die, now that I have seen your face, and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him, My brothers and my father's household, all who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. These men are shepherds. They, they raise livestock. They have brought their sheep and cattle and all that they have. When Pharaoh addresses you and asks, what is your occupation here to say your servants, both we and our fathers have raved livestock from our youth until now, then you will be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen, since all shepherds are abhorrent to the Egyptians. This picture, this picture is a picture that Jacob never had in his mind over the last 22 years here. The 22 years before this, he never had this, he never had this picture in his mind. He got to see his son Joseph again. He thought Joseph was dead. He thought Joseph had been killed over 20 years earlier. And his brothers let their, let, let their father believe this lie for over 20 years. We don't see the bigger picture because we don't have all the information, you see. Jacob never had this picture in his mind. And some of the information we have is incorrect information, just as it was for Jacob. Incorrect information is part of humanity. Incorrect information comes still for us from the deception of others, just like it, just like it did for Jacob here. He was deceived by his sons and his sons allowed him to believe a lie. And we too, you know, we, we have the deception of others that's out there. Incorrect information is sometimes due to incomplete information. Jacob's picture never included seeing Joseph again because he thought Joseph was dead. He had a very incomplete picture. And incorrect information is due in part to our own misunderstanding of what we see. Our own misunderstanding of part of what God says. Now Joseph, he was so pumped here, it says that he hooked up his horses to his chariot, made a beeline to go meet them when they arrived. And the reunion was quite emotional. Um, you know, we're pretty reserved people. You know, it's, uh, we're, we're pretty we're pretty reserved people. We're not, you know. Um, don't be afraid to show others you love them. This really doesn't this really doesn't fit with seeing the bigger picture, but it's important, and I didn't want to miss it. Don't be afraid to show others you love him, gentlemen. There should be no, there should be absolutely no doubt in your wife's mind that you love her. You should be behaving and acting and speaking to your wife in such a manner that there is absolutely no doubt in her mind that you love her. And women... you should be doing the same for your husband. There should be absolutely no doubt in his mind but that you love him. That's just a bonus. That really wasn't part of, part of, of the sermon. I just didn't think we could leave it out. Here's the deal. Seeing the bigger picture doesn't mean you know all the details. Seeing the bigger picture, you know, what I mean by that is that, that you know that there's a bigger picture even though you can't see all the details. So it's knowing that there's a bigger picture and the reality that you cannot see all of the details. That's what it is when I'm talking about see the bigger picture. 
It's not seeing the details of it. It's knowing that it is there and it's knowing that I don't see it all. I don't see everything. I don't know who my grandchildren are going to touch. I don't know who my great-grandchildren are going to touch. I have no idea what God is going to do with some of that. Work to strengthen your relationship with God. You want to see the bigger picture? Work to strengthen your relationship with God. Put in the time. Put in the effort. Make it real. And then go or stay as God directs you. Whether it's a job, whether it's your house, no matter what it is, go or stay as God directs you. Not, you know, it's not just this, boy, that sounds good. It's go or, as God directs you. And know, know that following God is always a big step. It's always a big step and it's always important. There is not any area, there not is, not, there's, is not any area where following God is unimportant. Be, when you're guided by God's knowledge and the knowledge, you know, that following God is always important. And realize, realize that following God affects more than just you. Realize there is a bigger picture. Even though you can't see all the details. Follow God. Follow God into that bigger picture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and love to us. Thank you for the way in which you have ministered in our lives and you continue to minister. I'm not the only one who you have been guiding all these years. Every single one of us here has faced and faces those questions of how do we know which way to go? How do we know where you want us? Oh, Father, help us. Help us to realize you do see all the details. We don't and we don't need to. What we need to do is follow you into our part of that bigger picture. Give us wisdom to do it. Give us the knowledge we need. Give us the peace that only comes from you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, who may be some facing some bigger decisions. Oh, give them your guidance. Give them your direction. Help us all to know and understand and follow your lead so that in all things we may know that we have followed you and not simply our own preferences or ideas. Thank you for allowing us to be part of that bigger picture. May we do it with joy and with faith in walking after you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.